and welcome to a brand new interview series by the Picture Books to Gang crew. Picture Books and Justice is a series where we interview a creator from the picture book world and get to know them a little better. To us, there's nothing better than a beautiful spellbinding picture book that has social justice themes. The picture book world is a big, beautiful place and we are excited to hear different experiences and opinions in a shorter time frame than our full length Picture Books to Gang episodes. PB&J is your afternoon book snack, so let's dig in. Today I am joined by the Little Feminist Education Director, Archa Shrivastav. Hello! I'm so excited that you could join me for a chat. How are you today? Hi, Corey. I'm so excited to be here today, too, and excited to talk about all things picture books, social justice, and kids. Excellent. Those are all of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> And so I was just wondering, um, before we get into all those awesome topics that you mentioned before, can you talk a little bit about why you got involved in education? Yeah, definitely. So when I first got involved in education, it was on, I, I used to be a classroom teacher. So um, on the whim of a 17 year old who had to decide you know, what their college major was as I was applying for college. And I honestly had no idea what I was getting into and teaching was nothing like I thought it was would be and most people really have no idea what teachers do um, so but tight. yeah <laughs> I think that because we have been in the classroom we kind of assume that oh you know I know what a teacher does so mm -hmm. completely different on the other side um, yeah but teaching is where you know once I actually got into it and discovered more about what teaching entails. It's where I developed my social justice lens, where I first learned everything that we're not taught in schools that we should be when it comes to systemic racism, privilege, and really how the education system in this country is designed to uphold the status quo through deep racial inequities, which also intersect with class, gender, ability, sexuality, so much more and how it really does uphold those very effectively. And so I think that's what turned me towards this path of social justice, of um, activism through the lens of teaching. I completely agree with you. I had a very similar experience as well when I went to college and sort mm -hmm. of learned all of the things that the whitewashed public school curriculum that I got, you know, growing up didn't cover. Yeah. And, you know, I came out of there ready to like kick the door down to the patriarchy meeting room and, yeah, you know, radicalize the children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think teaching is also where I developed my love for children's literature. And the first time I saw an own voices picture book by a South Asian author was in a children's literature class my junior year of college. So I was 20 years old. And I was so moved by this book that I saw. Um, it's this book called Monsoon Afternoon by this uh, Indian American author named Kashmir Ashit. And I had not one time as a child seen a book that authentically reflected my identity. As a little Indian girl, I went to a mostly white school. As a voracious reader, I had mostly white, or actually I think I had all white teachers in all of my public schooling experience. 
And I knew that I didn't want my students of color to feel that same way that I did. I wanted them to feel seen and books are one great tool for helping with that. Absolutely. And I can only imagine how transformative that moment was for you, you know, um, mm -hmm. to the wonderful people listening to this, uh, Archa and I are on video chat, but in case you don't know, I am very white and able-bodied, um, much like the majority of early education teachers in the United States. Um, and which that makes me very passionate about, you know, providing comprehensive literature in the classroom. But I think a lot of people, you know, that's what they grew up on. And so they feel like it's okay. And it's the status quo. Right. And, definitely. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree completely. And I think that it's funny when I first became a teacher, uh, which was after college and was over I think like almost 15 years ago I actually didn't know too much about the world of children's literature because we're taught in school to use literature use books as a tool for literacy that's the lens that we're given mm -hmm. to look at it um, and so even though I did try to fill my book with as many diverse books as I fill my classroom with as many diverse books as I could get my hands on um, I didn't really know what this whole own voices movement was in children's literature. And um, when I was becoming, you know, getting my teacher education, Instagram was not a thing. You couldn't like go find all the cool uh, Instagram pages that suggest all the awesome diverse books to read in your classroom and things like that. And um, also wasn't something that I necessarily devoted a ton of energy and resources to in the grand scheme of everything you need to do as a teacher. I just kind of whatever books were available, I tried to find the ones that had more representation out of those. Yeah. Uh, but that is what kind of led me to Little Feminist when I decided to leave the classroom. And since then, I have discovered even more um, amazingness in the world of children's literature and really how rich and diverse and how much depth and nuance there is to children's books more than just what you see on the pages. Uh, there really is. I feel like I will never be able to read every single book I want to read, but I'm <laughs> really trying. <laughs> and Definitely. so can, uh, can you talk a little bit more about what your role is within Little Feminist? Yeah, definitely. So um, I am the former education director, actually, at Con uh, Little Feminist now, the content director, so a slight shift in my role there. And that basically means I'm in charge of all things books. So Little Feminist is one part of our company is that we're a children's book subscription company. So I help choose with a team which books go into our boxes that we send out every month. We have a box for zero to three-year-olds, for three to seven-year-olds, and for seven to nine-year-olds. And then we also have discussion questions and letters explaining why we chose these books, extending on the themes of the book. So help create that content. And then we have blog posts, we have newsletters, we have social media that suggest more books that you can read maybe around specific themes like anti-racist education or um, books that show authentic LGBTQTI representation so we um, so I create that sort of content to to share with families with our subscribers and um, yeah just kind of extending on how powerful your bookshelf can be in your home um, helping helping families really understand that. 
through what we share? It's a noble cause and a huge undertaking um, with which yeah, Little Feminist is doing an incredible job. I think Thank you guys you. are such a cool company, of course. Thank you so much, yeah. And so I guess this could sort of be a two-part question. So what do you look for in a picture book, maybe for your own shelf, but also when you're looking at books to have in the boxes at Little Feminist? Yeah, um, so we look for a lot of things when we look at books. Um, it's hard to write really great picture books. It's not, um, it's not an easy task. It's really is a it's an art form, it's an undertaking, it's a creative process, requires research. And so I think the first thing that I look for as uh, books for our boxes is who wrote this book. That's really important to us. We want to know whose story are they telling, um, whose voice are they sharing, and is it an own voices book? Um, and for people not familiar with that term, that, that means that is the person who is sharing the story sharing their authentic lived experience or someone else's and if they are that makes it an own voices book um, and i think really specifically around race we look for own voices books um, and also though that intersects with so many other identities that we represent around sexuality gender class and more so yeah, that's our first big <laughs> criteria. Um, and then we kind of go into another thing that people tend to overlook in books is, is it a great story? Um, is this a story that's creative, that's engaging, that kids can find a lot of meaning in, that they can find a point of connection in? And that doesn't mean that every story you write needs to entertain kids but it needs to connect to them. They need to be able to, to find a point of entry in there and, and hold on and, and be engaged and think. Um, and stories sometimes really lean towards the lecturing and there's really a message that we wanna get out to kids, but then we preach that message at them. And um, I don't think that's what the best children's books do. I think the best ones really um, bring the kids into the story and find a point where they can enter and engage and and really feel like they're listening to some sort of creative process. They're part of that world that the book has created for them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like sometimes if the message is, you know, too strong, then the kids sort of feel like they're getting a lecture from an adult or some authority figure and then they sort of you know lose interest yeah it's a fine and, line because also yeah. if the message is isn't you know blatant enough then they totally miss it <laughs> that's true that's true um and i think my third and big piece that is really important to me is the illustration the art in the book mm -hmm. um <clears throat> illustrations are a form of art they require you know artists are who create these these amazing works in books they are what bring picture books to life uh, they're what bring the story to life and um that's i love picture book illustrations it's what draws in the reader it's what you know is the difference between a mediocre story and amazing story with the same words in it you know and so that's really 
um, I look for art that's really authentic to the artist. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I love seeing so many different types of art forms. People get so creative with how they choose to show their art in, in children's books. And I love that so much. There are so many different styles. I feel like I can't choose, you know, a favorite. Mm -hmm. um, who are your, some of your favorite illustrators? Um, the person who always comes to mind first is Yuyi Morales. She is a Mexican-American illustrator and she has such diverse illustration styles and each one is so beautiful and unique and different, each book she does. I love it. I love her. She's such a good artist. Yeah, I was actually first introduced to her through the book Ma uh, My Abuelita. And that book, it's, it's not one of her, she has just illustrated that book. She hasn't written it. And um, she has so many amazing books. So I think that book is amazing, but it's not as popular necessarily as some of her other books. And in that book, she's created these puppets for the characters. And then she arranges them with all these little handmade details. And then she has essentially photographed these scenes to put in the book, which is just such a creative, different way to approach children's book illustration. She's so creative. I think a few months ago, maybe it was last year, because what is time, you know? Um, <laughs> Definitely. The, I was following her on social media. She was making a documentary, um, mm -hmm. and she was posting sort of like short documentary updates while they were filming it, and it was really fascinating. They, her, she and some filmmakers were sort of traveling along the border between Mexico and the United States. Mm -hmm. and filming about a variety of topics but I could just yeah, I remember seeing that I think they had some other illustrators in there too right yeah I think it was like a whole a whole crew yeah um, I don't know if it's been released yet I, yeah I sure. remember hearing about that too I haven't I haven't seen it yet either though yeah. um, and then a second favorite illustrator that I definitely want to mention is Kehlani Juanita and she is an Oakland native um, and our company, A Little Feminist, is based out of Oakland as well. And she has just such a fun, beautiful illustration style. She illustrated When Aiden Becomes a Brother, which is mm -hmm. one of our favorites. We featured that in our book club. Um, and she has, and there's other books she's illustrated as well. And each, each time her illustrations, I love them. I want to take the pages out and frame them on my wall. I feel like you and I have very similar tastes in illustrators. <laughs> I also love her. Um, Magnificent Homespun Brown, too, yes. she illustrated, which is just a phenomenal book. Yeah, that's um, a newer one. Yeah. That one's really great. I really like Louisa Uribe as well. Um, she did the book about the biologist, um, Ernest Jest. And okay, yes. um, Your Name is a Song, which just yes. came out. Yes, I love yes. her style, mm -hmm. too, and the color palettes she chooses. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. She's a great one as well. There's, there's so many. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I could oh, probably for sure. Go on. I think um, yeah. another illustrator that, I mean, this list could go on forever, but last one <laughs> I'll share is Christian Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, he's a pretty awesome illustrator, and he's... Um, I don't know why off the top of my head I can't think of I can think of some books he's illustrated one we're about to feature is this very sweet board book called rain that he's illustrated um, and I love just his like kind of looks like paper cutout style that he does and so much fun color all over his pages 
Yeah. Oh, the bright colors he uses are amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to forcibly turn us away from this topic <laughs> from which we could go on and on. And to, you know, another just light and fluffy question. Um, what do you think needs to change about the publishing industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I guess probably everything. <laughs> I really <laughs> Um, I have had the amazing privilege of working in a very informal arm of the publishing industry. So Little Feminist has published her own trio of board books earlier this year. And um, I know on your uh, Instagram page of Tiny Activists, you've so generously shared some amazing reviews of those as well. I do. I love them so much. Thank you. Yeah. And so my experience in publishing has been, you know, different than people who have worked in the formal publishing industry. And I interact with the publishing industry more as a book buyer, rather than having to navigate working in that formal industry as a queer person of color. Um, I don't know if that would necessarily be the most pleasant experience because it's an extremely white dominated in industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, the publishing industry is, at the end of the day, a arm of capitalism. Their goal is to make money. And in the words of Sonia Renee Taylor, who is a Black activist that is one of the most intelligent women that I have ever had the privilege of learning from, she, to paraphrase her, she says something along the lines that like capitalism is a henchman of white supremacy. And when people, the people, when you look at the publishing industry, the gatekeepers of it are a lot of white women. And um, they decide, you know, what gets published. They hold the power in those organizations. And really, they decide it based on their personal preferences. And I mean, that's, you can, obviously, that in and of itself is just highly problematic. Like they're deciding what stories an entire generation is growing up on based on what they like and maybe somewhere in there, like some marketing statistics of what will make money. And that's... There's so many layers. I mean, I'm no expert, but there's so many layers of where the art and creativity, like the artists who create these stories, because that's what writing is. That's what illustration is. It's all art. Um, When you try to merge that into the system, that's really just trying to make money that's like exploitative and extractive, how much that butts heads with what the purpose of art is um, and what the purpose of storytelling is and and just whose voices are being heard. It's still, even as we see more and more um, diverse own voices books, it's still a small, small fraction of what's being published. Absolutely. And even, you know, the few people that are published, you know, authors and artists of color too, then I always think it's so interesting to think about the marketing budgets that are Mm -hmm. allocated to different books and, you know, there are books that came out a couple years ago that are truly phenomenal, but mm-hmm. I didn't hear about until, you know, I was 
happened to be scrolling through a publisher's website. Right. And because there was just no marketing budget. And, you know, these are the books that, like, I truly love to review and amplify and try to get the word out in my own tiny yeah. corner, my tiny angry feminist corner <laughs> of Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should be angry because it's not how those, like, why, why do those people get to decide what stories we read, what stories our children read? Um, but, yeah, I also... Um, I just thought of something when you said that. Oh, I mean, I spend a lot of my time, a lot of my hours in my day um, for my job searching for books. And mm -hmm. it is literally this deep, intense search of sifting through so many books that are problematic in so many ways. Maybe even something as simple as they all are about animals rather than one, <laughs> one child of color, you know? And you're oh. like, where, where are the people? Do I um, have a gripe about that? Yeah. And then, and, and it takes so long to get to one book that you're like, oh, okay, this is about a person of color written with some sort of authentic representation, not just a token brown kid thrown on a cover because it'll sell better than if you made that same kid white because um, diversity is marketable these days you know <sighs> and so yeah it is it's such a I'm, I just am like you know that is so much of what my hours go into because yeah. you have if you want those books you really have to put in the time to find them they're not going to easily come to you and it is so encouraging to me to see that at least when I find them there's more and more amazing ones rather than it used to be one or two um, so that at least feels really good to me that I'm like oh there's momentum behind at least the people who are making these amazing stories are getting more and more of a chance to be heard absolutely and I I also think that maybe the last few months with all of this you know long overdue social movement protesting upheaval mm -hmm. I I am um, I heard the phrase pathological optimist um, earlier today when I was listening mm -hmm. to a podcast and I was like man that just really really hits the nail on the head of, <laughs> of who I Corey am as a human being um, yeah. and because of this pathological optimism I I do truly believe that the publishing industry can change and can shift mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wish that it would be changing faster um, but you know, I will, I'll take baby steps as long as that, you know, starts, starts into a run at some point. Um, yeah. but do you, do you believe that things will begin to shift in the industry as a whole? Yeah, I think that that's a great point you bring up right now with, um, the surge we're seeing in the amplification of the movement for Black Lives, which is a movement that's been going on for years slash centuries yeah. Yeah. Um, that Black people have been leading. But as we see this surge in, in support for it and in hearing those voices more, um, that is something that gives me hope that so many industries, including the publishing industry, so many structures really, rather than industries, can change, will change, and need to change, you know. Um, and publishing kind of just falls into that too, because that is um, something that has really spoken to me a lot in 
um, seeing and supporting the work that so many black activists are doing right now is that people are calling for these radical structural changes, right? That it can't just be this top down surface level change that will um, create anything meaningful in our society and as a arm of our society art, which is what I consider books and storytelling to be a part of. Um, and so just really seeing that people are working so hard and have that pathological optimism that you mentioned um, and supporting it in the ways that I best can, that that does give me hope that, you know, there's people, there's people who've been doing work to change things like representation and authentic representation for so long. Um, so amplifying those voices and, and kind of getting behind those movements makes me feel hopeful. Absolutely. I um, was even, I was doing some research earlier today. Uh, we're getting together sort of another short episode specifically about windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors mm -hmm. and sort of, um, you know, giving a little bit more background info on Brudine Sims Bishop and Emily Style. She's amazing. Yeah. And Emily Style wrote in 1988 how problematic it was for this like colorblind. Um, you know, like the colorblind approach to mm -hmm. racism and, you know, and I just have in my notes in all cap, like all capital letters, like she was writing about this in 1988. We're still right. here. <laughs> and, like we're still talking about it. Definitely. And yeah. oh, that was, that was my like light my hair on fire moment <laughs> this morning. I was like, oh, she said it 32 years ago. Right. And yeah still trucking. Um, right, all right. Yeah, I think before smoke comes out of both of our ears, uh, <laughs> thinking about all of these things, uh, what are some of the best books that you read so far? Um, wow. Okay. That list is really, that list is really long. <laughs> so it really, it just has to be like the best books that I've read recently so that they're at the top of my mind. Okay. When perfect. It comes to picture books, I would say um, Rocket Says Look Up. Mm -hmm. is an awesome picture book uh, created by black makers about this young black girl who is a astronomy expert. She's pretty awesome. And My Footprints is mm -hmm. another amazing book that so good. Um, I love by Bao Phi, a Vietnamese American author. And then um, Go Show the World, mm -hmm. which is um, about ind indigenous histories and present, um, ind you know, indigenous heroes. And it's written so poetically and beautifully. I really loved that book. So those are some of my picture books that I'm obsessed with. But also I am trying to read more young adult fiction because I'm like, this, this is where the movement is happening. You know, novels sometimes... Yeah. It takes longer to get the movement happening there. But man, these young adult books, it's not, it's not anything related to Little Feminist yet. We are still working with the Littles, but um, I'm about to start reading this book called The Love and Lies of Roxana Ali. I'm so oh excited gosh. about it. Did you read you, it? You're going to feel all the feelings. <laughs> I read it and it was one of those, I 
could not put it down. Like, I'm just extremely openly weeping. Oh. oh my gosh, it's so good. Get ready. Okay. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is a book about a queer South Asian teenager that I could only have imagined reading as a teenager, but did not exist. Or yeah. I don't know if it existed when I was a teenager. So I'm really excited to read it as a 30-year-old now. <laughs> and um, yeah, that, and then I'm also, I just cracked open The Body is Not an Apology, which is by Sonia Renee Taylor, who I had quoted earlier. And again, everything that woman says and writes is enlightening, literally. So highly so, recommend. Yeah. Um, I just read Girls Resist by Kaylin Rich, and okay, that's yeah. incredible. Is that and an anthology? It's not an anthology. It's sort of, it's like a how-to manual oh, okay. um, for how yeah. to start your own movement, which right. um, I wrote a review for it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But um, something that I love about Kaylin Rich's writing is she, she like, the book itself says like, volunteering is great. There's lots of established organizations, but like what organization are you going to start and Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, gives that education for readers from the ground up, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just so empowering for teenagers to read, especially, you know, teenage girls of color. Kaylin is, is a woman of color. Um, and phenomenal. And I just read Dress Coded too, which was really good. Um, What's that one? It is about this girl who starts a podcast because she's sick of um, girls getting what they call dress coded, um, which would be, you know, if they're wearing a tank top or something, getting in trouble. And basically, you know, the age old, you're a distraction for other people Mm -hmm. and sort of body policing. Yeah. All the, all the body policing, you know, sort of racism gets drawn in and there's so much, you know, the main character sort of recognizes that different body types and shapes um, are getting, you know, policed more heavily. And so she sort of starts like this whole movement to, um, to, to end it at her school. Um, And it's also incredible. I'm, I'm ready. I'm here for the radicalizing of young adult books. I love it. I mean, this is when I read all these, what these young adult books are about nowadays. That's, and and I just see all the amazing things that teenagers know and think about and talk about and do. And I'm like, the kids are okay. They're all okay. They're all going to be great. They're going to be great. We'll be okay. Oh, they're so good. And also I just, you know, then I have that small wave of like, I wish that I had that at that age, you know, where would we be if I had these, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, definitely when I was a teenager. Well, we can indulge in all these books for teenagers (laughs) within us. Exactly. So Archa, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. It was incredible. I'm so glad we got to do this. Of course. Thank you, Corey, for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Of course. And thank you all for listening to the Picture Books to Gang podcast, as well as these shorter PB&J episodes. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can drop us a comment on Instagram and let us know. What are you reading? (laughs) 